Seeking Tarot is dedicated to exploring the 78 cards in the Ryder White Smith deck. You and I will uncover the story we all share by searching through the unknown, the mystery, the obscure. I welcome you, my fellow seeker, to the exotic lands. Maybe in our search we can find that uncommon magic elixir. Grab your compass and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I'm speaking with Scott from Holly Jolly Ex Masu. Thank you for speaking with me today, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. So, um, first of all, before we go into uh, the, the the show itself, which which is fantastic, my brother and his wife are really enjoying it because I think I've said to you before that my sister in law is is Japanese. Uh, my brother went over there to to teach in schools over there, and they met each other and they they got married, and so that it's it's something that they really really have been enjoying since I've told them about it. That that that's great. I really appreciate it. I know I, I've got a few. I, I know of at least a few listeners in Japan. So, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's a really good program. You know how it um, goes into the background of all the different Christmas songs and everything that are in the Japanese psyche and on their record charts. Um, it's a huge thing in Japan, Christmas. Yeah, and it, it's 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 surprising that they they've got a much different approach than uh, than we do in the West. I mean, it's basically like another for 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 most Japanese, it's like another Valentine's Day. Yeah. So um, most of them view it as this romantic holiday where Christmas Eve is really the big day. That's where couples will get together, and that's why so many of the uh, Japanese Christmas songs are more like just standard love songs. Um, So it it really has an influence on the music and just the entire approach to the holiday. Yeah. I like that bit about it. You know, um, I mean, I mean, Christmas, even for people in the West who, who aren't religious, it's sort of that it's this, it's a romanticized um it period anyway for those people you know it's about to those it's about getting the families together and and having nice time with the family eating good food together and just you know having that one specific time in the year where you're together and so I, I like the fact that people can take these things and make it their own in these different cultures yeah and that that's one of the things i've i've really enjoyed researching all this stuff is just seeing how it's evolved over the years, um, just specific to Japan. So lest I forget this, uh, this one, this, this first one on my, my notes, have you actually got a favorite Christmas memory or one that really jumps out to you? Uh, 
gosh, I, I'd say I, I've got four daughters and pr- pretty much it, each of their first Christmases just that, that's always been a big deal. I mean, granted, they're not old enough to really know what's going on when it happens, but just going through it with each of them for the first time that it, it's a lot of fun just, you know, having them there and getting to experience it with them. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go on a tangent here and I'm going to ask. Um, so you've got four daughters. Yeah. So mm-hmm. are, are there any really good moments when, for those, when you've seen those daughters having the first Christmas for one of the other daughters? Is, is there a sort of like a joy there where you've got a new, a youngest daughter that's having her first Christmas? And then there's like a reaction from the older daughters. I'd say with our, with our youngest, um, she was, she was nine months old or so for her first Christmas and her older, her older sisters were really able to get into it with her. Um, they, they all had gifts for her and that, that was probably the most fun of the four just because, uh, it was such a big deal for each of them. Yeah, because I'm just imagining that they are then of that age where they can understand what it is. They have that joy within them, and because there's somebody, a younger younger sister that they that they love, that they can then give the, all that emotion to them, and that can make their first Christmas even more special. Mm-hmm. So, from there, then, when did your interest in christmas music from japan start i mean did you have an initial love of christmas music as it was uh well uh growing up my mom played christmas music year round so i mean there wasn't a cutoff date she would just continuously play christmas music um it could be middle of summer and she'd be throwing on john denver and the muppets and we just had Christmas music playing all the time. Uh, so when I got to be a bit older, um, you know, I started buying my own Christmas music, probably around college. I started collecting it a bit. And then maybe around 2000 or so when file sharing first got to be real big, really big online, yeah. uh, that's when I went from having, you know, several dozen albums to suddenly having downloads of hundreds of albums and you know i started connecting with other connectors online or collectors online and uh really started getting more into the history of it and um started paying a lot more attention to some of the rare stuff and um having more of a collector's mindset i guess i guess you'd say and then um i think it's around 2010 or so um somebody mentioned this album drum christmas drum by akira ishikawa yeah and they made a big deal about just what a fantastic album it was um i was able to find at first just clips of a couple songs and they sounded fantastic and it suddenly became like a holy grail to me that i had to find this album uh, so over the course of about eight years, um, occasionally I'd find a download of an entire song 
but I never could get the whole album. Um, as I searched for it more and more, though, I started finding out about a lot of other Japanese musicians who had put out just phenomenal Christmas albums. Um, people like Jun Fukumachi, uh, Shoji Suzuki, um, and, and several others who just, with some of them, I, you know, uh, occasionally I'd get a, like a full album I could download. Uh, others I would just, um, I would read about them and I would just, the descriptions of, the, of these albums just fascinated me. Uh, June Fukumachi is uh, a real key one just because um, everything I read said it was one of the most phenomenal Christmas albums ever recorded, but you couldn't even find clips of it online. Um, so as I kept searching for Akira Ishikawa and learning more about uh, all these other Japanese albums, um, it it became kind of a, an obsession with me. Um, I also realized that none of the other American collectors um, really had a lot of knowledge about the Japanese music. Um, so, s- s- some of the American collectors, I mean, they're their knowledge is encyclopedic. You can go to them and ask them about, you know, these recordings from 50, 60, 80 years ago, and they can tell you more than you, than you thought you even wanted to know about it. Um, so as I was learning more about the Japanese music, I started to realize, you know, this could be a little niche for me. This is, this could be an area that I know more about than any of these other collectors. Um, at the same time, I started to realize there's no way on earth I'm going to hear most of these albums if at some point I don't just break down and buy copies of them from Japan. Um, so back in 2019, I hadn't bought a, a record in years. Um, we did have a record album that was basically just sitting in the basement collecting dust. Um for record store day that year, there was a re-release of this compilation from a little label King records out of Cincinnati. Um, sounded really cool. I wanted to get it. So I pick it up, um, break out the record player and just thought it was cool being able to spin records again. Um, I had a little money left over at the end of the Christmas season. I was like, you know, why not go ahead and, um, finally order a few records from, from Japan. Um, couldn't find Akira Ishikawa, but, um, I did get, um, Jackie Ishikawa and the Blue Comets, uh, Takeshi Teriyuchi's, uh, uh, Bunny's Christmas Party, um, Christmas Time in Blue by Motoharu Sano, and, um, this album that I had no clue what it was, it just said Christmas on the cover, and I thought it might be pretty good. Uh, turns out it was a compilation put out in 1976 from Four Life Records. It, it's like one of the, um, it's one of the top Japanese compilations ever released. So while I'm getting these albums, uh, a friend of mine finally sends me a copy of Akira Ishikawa. So I finally got to hear the, the whole album. Uh, I've got these other new albums that I, I'm really just in, enjoying the heck out of. And that's when COVID hits. Um, so I find myself with, um, tons of free time. Uh, I, I've had insomnia for years and it really came back with a vengeance when, 
when the lockdown started. So, you know, with all this knowledge I'd already collected with these albums I've got and with all this free time, I decide, you know, why not go ahead and do a podcast and start sharing some of these albums. Um, and at the same time, it gave me an excuse to keep collecting. Um, so that's essentially how I got from, you know, listening to, uh, John Denver with my mom when I was a kid to doing the podcast. Wow. You've, um, wow. You've, you've done a few of the points there. already. <laughs> Hi, this is David from this goose is cooked. And we would like to wish all the listeners of pods like us a very Merry Christmas. And if you're having trouble writing your Christmas cards, remember, a picture is worth a thousand words. So, Holly Jolly X Masu is uh, Scott is talking about music that is Christmas based from from Japan. And uh, as we've already mentioned, it's very different in Japan. So there's a lot of love songs that are based at that sort of time. And it's, it is more about that sort of feeling than about the way that everybody else sees it in the world. So um, what sort of research do you actually do leading up to the episodes? Uh, the, the research um, it is, it, it can be very difficult because especially with the older albums, there's a lot of the albums I get where you can't find really any mention of them online. Um, you can't find them streaming. And with, with, with a lot of the stuff in my collection, these are not really, they, even if they were big artists at the time, they're not well known now. So trying to find information about them, especially enough to be able to talk about them for 20 to 40 minutes, um, can be really difficult. Uh, on top of the fact, I don't speak or read Japanese, so everything I have to do is filtered through Google. Um, so I'll do what I can to find some background information on the artists. Uh, a lot of times that's via Wikipedia. Uh, other times I'm able to find information on um, like old, old Japanese blogs and whatnot. Um, with some of the artists, I really can't find anything about them. There, there's a no. handful where the only information I have is um maybe what's listed in discogs and what I'm able to translate from the, uh, the liner notes on the back of the album. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of detective work trying to, um, get good information for some of the more obscure artists. Um, some of the big name artists, it's pretty easy. You just go to Japanese Wikipedia and there's, a lot of times more information that I can use, but with some of the, the really cool older, um, like the older jazz albums and whatnot, it gets a little more difficult. Well, I'm incredibly impressed then because you, I mean, the episodes are always full of so much information and 
well, the ones that I've heard so far uh, have got so much in them. Uh, so your research is is really good. It's, it's they're very thorough. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, and I I, I do the best I can. Uh, when I first started, and when I first started, I didn't know if I was going to stop after a couple episodes. Um, so I didn't put as much into it. Um, but once I got a little more serious about it, um, that's when I really started, um, doing my best to get the, just the, the absolute most thorough and best information I could. Um, not just because, you know, I want to give the best information I can to my listeners, but with some of these musicians, you know, they may have been some of the biggest recording stars in Japan and when they were popular in, in the fifties, sixties or whatever, but a lot of them are largely forgotten now. Um, so if I'm able to at least put something out there where people can learn about these bands or musicians and just have a better awareness of them, then, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that. It, it, It really validates what I'm doing. Well, personally, I would really like it if there was a possibility of getting some more excitement for these artists and for this music and for it to actually be out there because I'm one of those people who's listened to your show and then I've gone online to have a look so that I can actually get some of these songs onto my streaming service and they're not there. Like you said, they're they're very difficult to get hold of. Yeah, and part of that is the whole culture in Japan. Um, they really haven't embraced streaming. It's it's changing, but um, they still are very into physical media. Um, records are still a huge deal. CDs are still a huge deal. Um, so you still have... Um, some of the biggest artists like uh, Tatsura Yamashita, uh, he gave a, an interview recently where he said he will never approve of his albums uh, being put on Spotify or services like that. Um, so there are uh, older recordings that are making their way onto streaming, um, but it, it's a really slow process and even the one that the even the ones that that are a lot of them are exclusive to Japan. So I've gotten records where the copy I'm able to get from from my vinyl isn't quite as good as I'd like, and I've found the I've found some of them on Japanese streaming services, but I just have no way to you know get that really clean clear copy that if I was in Japan I'd be able to get a. Uh, um, a better copy of the song. But, and that is one thing I'll point out is when I first started the podcast, there were a few, few songs that included that I'd managed to get downloads of in various places, but anything you hear now on my podcast, if you're listening to it on my podcast, I have an actual physical copy of it in my collection. So there, there's nothing I cover that I don't actually physically own. That's that's good. You, you've gone to another question there that's much later about the music and how you treat the music in your show and and how you get that music onto there as well. And 
you're very careful as to how much of the song that you'll you'll play as well. Yeah. Um and when I first started, um, I was doing just small clips of the songs. Um, as I went on, I started including more and more, um, especially when it comes to some of these older recordings. Um, I mean, you, you're really not going to find, you're not going to find them anywhere. So no. I do talk over the songs. I do make sure that I, I don't have a high quality, um, I, I don't put it out in high quality and I don't have complete versions of the song. So nobody's going to be able to, you know, come to my podcast and get, you know, a CD quality copy of an album, um, which that that's kind of a big deal to me. Just um, I, I don't want to be accused of putting music out there just for people to take. Um, I do want people to hear it, but I also want to make sure that I'm, um, uh, providing like an educational um, uh, aspect of the podcast as well. But it does because you're not, you're not just talking about the songs, you're talking about the history of the artists themselves and where they come from. Right. Yeah, and and that, that's been one of the really fascinating parts about it is just just learning so much about these, these different uh, musicians who – a lot of them before I start looking into them, I, I haven't even heard of before. And, um, it, it's been kind of neat with some of them just seeing how interconnected a lot of the musicians are. So there, there've been some, uh, like some backing bands and whatnot who I'll find that they played on a particular album. And then as I get more and more of these records and look into them more, they keep popping up on different albums. So, it's kind it's an enjoyable experience just uh finding out about these artists and then finding out um just the uh interconnected nature between some of them it's a bit like the japanese version of the uh, of those musicians who played on all the motown songs you'll find them keep cropping up on all these recordings uh-huh well and one of the one of my earlier episodes that um I think a lot of people enjoyed was um, uh, Jimmy Takeuchi's uh, White Christmas Drum Drum Drum. Um, he, he was a fantastic drummer, and his album is just spectacular. Um, and as much as I enjoyed reading up on him, I didn't realize until well into my research that uh, several of the other albums I have, he he was actually the drummer for those bands. Um, so uh, I'd mentioned uh, Shoji Suzuki before. Uh, I've got a couple albums by him, and I'll cover him eventually. But Jimmy Takeuchi was his was his drummer for years. Um, and and once I get to uh, Shoji Suzuki, his, his albums are just phenomenal. Uh, he was a clarinetist, and he just his his swinging Christmas. Um, was one of the earlier albums that I managed to get a download of. And it's just, it's one of the best albums out there. I love jazz and instrumental versions of songs. Really fantastic Christmas songs. So when you record the episode, have you scripted it entirely or, or do you just say whatever comes to mind? I mean, there must be some, 
form of script of some sort, even if it's bullet points? Uh, I, I script it out entirely. And then a lot of times I'll, I'll edit on the fly. Um, a lot of it's not always big changes as I'm recording. I I usually stick to the script, but sometimes I'll, you know, I remember something that I meant to put in and forgot, or I'll just make, you know, minor edits as I go. But, um, yeah, I, depending on the episode, it can take anywhere from a week to two weeks to write out the script fully. Um, and that that's always the the bulk of the work. I mean, not not counting the actual collecting that I do, uh, just the research and the writing that takes up a lot more time than anything else in the episodes. Hi, it's Zach from Belated Binge Harry Potter, and I'd like to remind all the listeners of Pods Like Us that it isn't Christmas without Hogwarts and a Harry Potter marathon. So. Is there a structure to the actual episodes as well when you when you're recording them? Uh, yeah, I always have uh, a basic introduction where uh, I'll talk about uh, you know the album, how I came to know about it, uh, maybe how uh, how I, if I had any trouble getting a copy, um, and then some basics about the uh, the band uh, or anything else maybe relevant that doesn't fit in with the the rest of the structure of the episode. And then um, I'll lead off with um, basically with each, as each song plays, I'll do a bit about um, some of the history of the artist uh, or the band, and then something about the actual music that's playing. Um, So I kind of uh, intertwine that throughout the episode. And then at the end um, I'll just wrap it up and then give a preview for uh, for whatever the following episode will be. Um, at the start of the episode, I always, I try to pick an instrumental song from, from a different album or single. Um, it's not always instrumental. Sometimes uh, I'll put in a vocal track, just something that'll fit the time. And then, uh, as I'm doing the, uh, the wrap up at the end of the episode, I'll play something from whatever's going to be the following episode. Wow. Wow, that's 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 a nice bit of an Easter egg that you put at the end of the episode. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I always like to put that in there just as a preview of something that's coming, um, and then uh, throwing in the the extra song at the beginning. Uh, I like doing that just to, you know, get a little extra, uh, little extra music in there. So. As opposed to the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this is the this is the Holly Jolly X Masu universe with the with the <laughs> stinger at the end. It just making sure everything's tied together. So, you know, I haven't written this one down, but so first of all, before I say this, one one of the things that I really enjoy and that really comes out is there's something great about towards the beginning of each episode occasionally you'll give this you'll give a story of your own personal journey into discovering the actual record as well which is really fascinating how the journey to you actually owning the copy or searching for the copy and occasionally it's a long and drawn out journey as well and you get the and you give the the whole story of how you eventually got your hands on this 
these this music as well. Yeah, and um, sometimes it's a lot more difficult than others. Uh, there's albums that, frankly, I never thought I'd be able to get a copy of, and they'll show up. And that's one thing I learned early on is that some of these albums if I don't get them when I see them that first time, there's a good chance I'm not going to see them again. Um, so it makes it really difficult to, to get, especially the rarer albums. Um, there, there's a lot of collectors out there. And when I'm going up against collectors in Japan, that makes it even more difficult because, you know, they're able to bid a little higher. They don't have to worry about, the international shipping and some of the other stuff I have to worry about. Um, there's also the difficulties of there's sellers in Japan who they don't like these records leaving Japan. So if they find out that you're a foreign bidder or you're going through a proxy service, they will cancel the order. Um, I've had several records that, um, I've won auctions for, uh, only to have the order canceled. Uh, one that, that I got recently, um, it's a compilation came out in 1962 is from, uh, the, uh, Nakatsu films. They took a bunch of their young actors, um, put them together as scene stars as well. And they put out this Christmas album and, um, a collector in Japan had told me about it and recommended it. And right away I found a copy, I bid on it and it turned out the record store selling the copy had already sold the copy in store. So they canceled it, found another copy, exact same thing. They had sold the copy that was in store. They canceled my order. Uh, finally found another copy and I was the high bidder. The seller canceled it because I was overseas. Uh, I think I had two more copies where I lost out because I wasn't in Japan. And then finally, um, I managed to get a copy that, uh, it, it was less, it was less expensive than all the other copies. Uh, so that, that was a plus, but that was one I spent, I spent over two years trying to get that one and finally getting it. And the fact that it arrived and was in great shape was, that was a big relief. And also that you saved a heck of a lot of money getting that one rather than one of the earlier bids. Right. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, I think I bid as high as, um, I, I ran one auction up to like $120 just because I was bound and determined to get that one. And when the guy bumped it up to, I think he took it up to 150. I, I said, hold on. <laughs> I said, that's five times more than the last copy that sold. I was, I was like, I need to back out of that. There's a, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent here. There's an episode of my own show where um, we were talking about, uh, he does a an Elvis Costello podcast and we were talking about, because there was a uh, Paul McCartney and Elvis Costello did some work together. And then I showed him this box set I've got of one of Paul McCartney's albums, uh, where where uh, where Elvis Costello co-wrote some of the songs. And then uh, then the guy who does the uh, Elvis Costello podcast says, "Oh look, that's that's what 150 pounds." He started to say this, you know, as in how much it was. And I'm there saying, 
I'm glad the other half can't hear you say this. And he goes, oh, sorry, £25 will get you. (laughs) (laughs) These things are not cheap. Yeah, I I tend to uh, be vague with uh, how much I spend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because just some of these are, they are so hard to find. Uh, I I managed to... uh, Flexi discs were really big in Japan for for quite a few years, starting in into the fifties up through the eighties. And I found out recently the big deal was because you know up definitely through at least through part of the seventies, the economy was such that a lot of people couldn't afford vinyl, so flexi discs were were really popular. And I've been finding. Uh, older flexi discs where um, the bands, they, their music, at least their Christmas music, never appeared anywhere but on these flexi discs. Yeah. Um, so some of those tend to go for quite a bit of money. And there's one I've been looking for for quite a while. Um, I missed out on a copy just two weeks ago, and I finally managed to uh, to win an auction for it yesterday. So that that's what I'm looking forward to getting. Um, I, I, I just recently started recording and digitizing all my uh, flexi discs just cause uh, they, those take a little more work than, um, than the vinyl does. Um, so I, I've got this big backlog of, uh, of flexi discs that I'm finally, finally getting around to. They're not the easiest thing to take care of either. Because um, I remember when I was younger, we used to get flexi disc in the UK that you got with magazines and uh, and and also with the music press, such as uh, we have, you know, the uh, the Melody Maker and the New Musical Express in the UK, and all these like you know teenage magazines about music, and they always used to come with a free flexi disc of songs. Uh, so they're very difficult to look after because it's very thin plastic. Uh So the quality of the recording on there isn't normally that great or the sound, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing when you compare one of those and you look at an actual piece of vinyl record and compare the look of the two. And you always have to put a flesh disc on top of an already existing record for it to actually play or, or as well. Well, and then put in the, uh, putting the coins on top of them also to, yep. to keep them from spinning water. <laughs> I mean, if you don't do that, the, uh, um, the, the disc will keep spinning, but the, or, uh, yeah, the, the, the needle on the disc will get out of sync. <laughs> and it's so, like, a, it's like a bird trying to take flight. Cause it will suddenly come up, rise up. Uh huh. <laughs> well, and, and the bad thing about, you know, having four daughters is that if I, don't put the coins away afterwards. I come back to record more and the coins are gone. So <laughs> I don't know where so I, they would have gone. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody in the house knows. So me. <laughs> Hi, this is Kevin Young. And Dan Hergen. From Torture. And we would like to wish all the listeners of Pods Like Us a very Merry Christmas. So anyway, where I was going to go to uh, that I meant that I almost mentioned earlier on was so. Are there any favorite recordings that you've got? Have you got like three favorites, favorite finds that 
that really stand out? Uh, June Fukumachi is, that's got to be, that's probably my top one. Um, I had read, I I read about it um, on a couple blogs that, it just sounded like a neat album and I spent a few months trying to find it. The one collector that, um, I'd been talking to in Japan, he basically told me, um, you know, you're not going to find this. Um, he said, I've been looking for, he, he had been looking for a copy for 10 years and he finally managed to, uh, get a copy after 10 years of searching. And he said, he told me, you know, don't count on getting one because you're just not going to get it. Um, sure enough, a few months later, I found a copy on eBay and, um, um, the, the seller would not, uh, ship it via any means other than, uh, overseas freight which meant it was going to take at least six months to arrive and if it got you know wiped off the boat on the way over there's nothing i could do about it um so i I was on the verge of bidding on it when as luck would have it a copy showed up in discogs and i was able to get a copy from uh from a shop in new york and it is just it, it is an unbelievable album it's uh it's just this crazy jazz fusion. It, it, it's something you have to hear. I think it's, I, I believe it's my 11th episode. I covered it and it is just phenomenal. Um, it's far and away. One of my favorite Christmas albums of all time. Um, another favorite, which I think was in my eighth episode, uh, Christmas tenor mood by Nakamura Hachidai and Hidehiko Matsumoto. Uh, they were two of the biggest uh, jazz artists in the 60s. And it's one of the most just gorgeous albums you ever hear. Um, it's also the first episode that um, <laughs> the day after I released it, I got a call from my parents. They had listened to it and they said they just loved it. So the fact that I got you know, feedback from my parents. I was, uh, I was pretty pleased about that. Um, and I'd say probably my other one would be, um, and it's, it's hard to, hard to narrow it down to three. Um, I'll have to go with, uh, Chimieri's, uh, Chimieri sings Christmas songs. Um, she was, um, one of the top three, female jazz singers in Japan um, or well, she started as a pop singer, Uh, her uh, Habari Masora and um, uh, I think it's, uh, it's Umi Yakamura. They were three of the biggest stars in Japan in the early fifties. They each put out a couple Christmas singles between like 1953 and 54 or so. Um, they were such big stars that the fact that they had put out Christmas music, it not only popularized popularized Christmas music in Japan, it popularized Christmas as a holiday for 
pretty much everyone outside of the the small Christ, Christian community in Japan. Yeah. So they were hugely influential. Uh, Chimieri put out um, a complete album in 61, I think it was. And that was one that another collector told me, you know, these are really rare. You're not going to get a copy. Um, well, um, I found a copy and, and when I first started doing this, I hadn't learned a lot about, you know, the best ways to order albums from, from Japan. I found yeah. a proxy company that they're the biggest proxy company, but they're, they're also the absolute most expensive, um, so I used them, uh, I found an auction for her record. I went ahead and ordered it at the time. It was far and away the most I'd spent on an album. And I, I naively thought at the time it was going to be the most I'd ever spent on an album. Um, but I managed to get a copy and it's just phenomenal. Um, she just, she had a wonderful voice, um, and it's just such a fantastic album. I was at the time I was more thrilled to get that than I was to get June Fukumachi. So, um, those would have to be, I'd have to make, I'd have to say those are my top three. Should I have made it five and made it easier for you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's a couple others. Um, actually I will mention these, um, as I was, before I bought any albums, as I was still, you know, researching and um, just trying to get that Akira Ishikawa album, there was a blogger in Indonesia who, um, he he was posting uh, Christmas albums each year. Um, basically what he does, he's, uh, um, he goes through the Indonesian record markets, picks up records he can find, cleans them up a bit, records them and posts them on his blog. And then usually around Christmas time, he'll put uh, Christmas albums up and he put up a few Japanese albums. Um, one was swinging Christmas by Shoji Suzuki and then Latin Christmas by Yasunori Nakamura and Latin Christmas by Charlie Ishiguro. And, um, they are just phenomenal albums. They're just fantastic jazz albums. Um, and when I finally started, uh, buying these vinyl records, I, one of my goals was to get a copy of each of those. Um, so I finally got a copy of Shoji Suzuki. Um, it wasn't in the best shape, uh, as luck would have it a couple months later, I was able to get another copy. Um, few more months went by, never could find Yasunori Nakajima. Um, And uh, I finally found a copy that it was just the record, no sleeve, but I was like, you know, I've been looking for this forever. I'll go ahead and get it. Uh, I won the auction. And the day after I won the auction, a complete copy with with the sleeve showed up. So I ended up with two copies of that pretty early on. Uh, I finally found a copy of Charlie Ishiguro, uh, ordered that it was really beat up, but you know, I was thrilled to finally have a copy, uh, as luck would have it last week, another copy showed up and I won the auction this morning. So, (laughs) so these three albums that were really influential as far as my collecting and the whole journey, uh, of my, uh, 
I guess, obsession with Japanese Christmas music went. Um, I not only have a manager to get them, but as soon as I get my next order, I'm going to have uh, two copies of each of them. So I'm hoping that this copy of Charlie Ishiguro that I get in a few weeks is going to be in much better shape than the the one I got previously. Um, Cause that, that's, that, that was one of my big goals when I started buying the records is the, the copies the guy in Indonesia had, uh, they're not very good. And I just wanted to uh, be able to get copies of my own and have um, just cleaner, more complete recordings than, than what he posted on his blog. But I mean, something that I love about it is, I mean, I have this, I have this thing where as I get closer to Christmas, I've got these songs on, you know, that everybody knows, and I will always be looking for something that's different, you know, something that I've not heard before. And certainly with these, if you've not paid any attention to to Japanese music or music from Japan that is pop music based or jazz based or contemporary music based rather than classical Japanese music. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I, I love the fact that the, these are all new songs, but you, you've also got a thing like on the me- most recent episode I listened to, which was the one where you were talking about the blue comet uh, album. Uh, there's something about that, that I love as well, which is they're not afraid with the standard Christmas songs to throw little bits of other Christmas songs like musical motifs into there in the background. So you'll have, um, was it, did they have a, did they have a little, was it jingle bells they did? And they had a bit of another song actually in there as a musical motif. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, especially the, um, um, some of the better instrumental albums from the sixties, they, they tended to do that a lot. Um, and off the top of my head, I can't remember um, which song Jackie Ishikawa did that on, but he threw in, um, oh gosh, um, I just can't think of the song right now. Yeah. But, you know, he he, he was uh, throwing in these little homages to other popular Christmas songs at the time into yeah. the music he was doing. And it, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you'll hear a lot of... Um, a lot of people who they'll throw in like, you know, some bars of jingle bells or something like that. Yeah. But some of these other albums, um, they, they're throwing in stuff that you don't expect. So, um, it, it, it's a lot of fun discovering stuff like that just because just, just because you're not expecting it. And the fact that, um, it's so creative and unexpected. I I really enjoy stumbling across stuff like that. Yeah. I mean that when, when you mentioned that on that and you mentioned it on uh, one or two previous episodes as well about them doing that, it it reminded me of um, one of my favorite bits about the river by the song river by, uh, by Joni Mitchell, because she does that on that song. You've got the whole song there, which is a perfect pop song. And, um, and then at the end, she actually puts in jingle bells in the at the end on the piano, just a, a couple of bars of that at the end musically. And it's something that, when you mentioned that about that, I just thought it's something that I love about this season where, and those sort of artists who do that, I like it when they do that. And 
yeah, the, the Japanese ones that you mentioned, they seem to do it a lot or they do it a fair bit. Yeah, and that, and that's something I, I've enjoyed with all this is that before I started doing this, you know, t- typically I, I get to the point in you know, mid-January or so where it, I just get tired of listening to Christmas music. I mean, I start listening to it in because – I'll I'll send my family and a few friends a uh, a mix CD each year. So most years I start working on that in like July or so. So you know by mid January, I get to the point where I've been listening to not just the music for the CD, but just Christmas music in general so much that I just need a break from it. But the good thing with doing the podcast is the Japanese music, it's, it's all just fresh and brand new to me. So working on the podcast year round and discovering this new music year round, it's, it's not something I ever get tired of. And even if it's, uh, an album full of Christmas standards, it's versions of them I've never heard before. Um, so whether it's a new pop, uh, version or an older jazz album. It's just, it's something brand new to me. And that helps keep my interest going uh, throughout the year. Yeah, because they're not scared to also take these, what we would call standards in, in you know, in the West, you know, the, the, the songs that we're used to by, you know, the Bing Crosby's and the Frank Sinatra's and, and all these people they're not afraid to actually just take the bare bones of the melody and the chords, so to speak, and then rearrange them in a completely different style and look at them. It's like the the turning it around and looking at it from a different angle. Yeah. Well, and one of the, one of the best albums as far as that goes is uh, magic by Ohashi trio. Um, which I covered that a few months ago. Um, and Ohashi Trio, it's actually just just one guy. And his album, it's just one of the most um, just unexpected and innovative Christmas albums that you're going to listen to. He does jazzy takes not just on... Um, you know, original Japanese songs, but some, uh, some standards. And he, he, he has some originals on there, but he also throws in uh star man by David Bowie, which there was, he, there was an interview where he explained his motivation for that. And it, it was just a really interesting, uh, really interesting selection for a Christmas album. So that, that's, that, that's definitely one worth, uh, searching out and listening to. I love that artist. It's great. Hi, this is Amy Hughes from Cool for Cats, a Squeeze podcast. And I'd like to wish all of the listeners of Pods Like Us happy holidays and especially a very Merry Christmas. But I mean, um, in, in the more known to the UK, to the you know to the rest of the world possibly another artist uh isayo tamita yeah and um i have um i have a couple of uh tamita's albums um i um 
I haven't covered them yet, but uh, I I picked them up at a local record store. Um, oh my gosh, and I can't even think of the names right now. I'm particularly fond of uh, what is it? The snowflakes are dancing. That's 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 lovely. Uh, yeah, I've got that, and I have I forget the other one. Uh, pictures at an at an exhibition. Um, yeah, yeah, th- those are just two really fantastic albums. Yeah, but that Snowflakes album, that's one that I actually listened to during that period as well, during during the festive period, because it's got that, it's almost a festive feel to the music. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's just me that feels that. Well, and I'm trying to remember. If, if I remember right, I believe he played on another album I have. I just can't recall. We're going on tangents here. Yeah, and it's <laughs> I, I've gotten to the point where it's hard to uh, it's just hard to remember everything I have. But while you're looking up, I mean, there is something about we're going on, we're going, continuing on this tangent. There is something that, to, to a sense, I don't know whether it does it bug me, does it not? It sort of does in a sense. But there are sort of artists who I think are overlooked and not known as much as I think they should be, you know, such as, you know, so I'm going to Japan and I'm almost, I'm also, I'm also thinking of, you know, I think that um, we're going out to the Christmas music thing here. Yellow Magic Orchestra, I think are very overlooked and were really important group in my opinion, in the history of um, electronic music. Yeah. Well, and they, um, they they were just so fantastic and groundbreaking, yeah. um, and and each of them, uh, Harry Hasono, uh, Ryu, uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto, and yeah. and I forget the other guy's name. They've they've each produced at least some sort of Christmas music on their own. Yeah. Um, so I, I've brought up Harry Hasono several times uh, throughout the podcast. Sakamoto, you've got the soundtrack for Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence, haven't you? Yeah, and I was intending on covering that this month. I just um, wasn't able to get a copy of the vinyl in time. Um, so that's something I'll put off till next year sometime. But Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. That is when, when I've talked to people in Japan about, you know, what are the most popular Christmas songs over there? Uh, they tend not to even mention that because it's so ubiquitous throughout the Christmas season. And the ones I've talked to just assume that that's how it is ever on the planet. They think that everybody walks into the mall around Christmas time and they hear Sakamoto. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that you don't hear that everywhere, they're, they're kind of surprised when you tell them that. So yeah, that that's, that, that's one I, I, I definitely plan on getting to at some point though. Yeah. I, I, I love his music. So, um, so what about your own show music and the logo that you've got for the show? Uh, the logo I came up with on my own, the, the, the intro at the start, um, it's a mix of, um, a couple clips of various things that I just pulled from a few other sources. Um, and the, the main, I guess the main theme at the very intro is taken from, uh, uh, Jimmy Takeuchi's uh, White Christmas Drum Drum Drum. Um, his Jingle Bells, it, it's just 
one of the coolest versions of Jingle Bells you're ever going to hear. So, um, yeah, I've got that and a few other things mixed into my intro. I'm looking forward to somebody eventually making the 12 days of Christmas cool. Cause I, I get bored with that song. I, I, I was, I, I, I what, just a couple weeks ago, I was asking one of the collectors over there about 12 days of Christmas and, there are a few Japanese versions of it, but the only ones he could find and that I've been able to look up are from children's albums. So, um, yeah, so far I've not found anything, um, outside of just children's versions of it. But, um, I, I, I keep looking, hoping to find something a little more interesting along those lines. So, Outside of the show, then, what would you say are essentials to you for Christmas? Uh, I'd say for me, um, gosh, well, we, we've we've got several traditions that we follow. Usually, a big one has always been the day after Thanksgiving, we always go out, we get our tree, we put it up. Uh, didn't quite happen the way we were hoping to this year. Um I, uh, I, I had to work Thanksgiving week this year and due to a lack of sleep and a lot of other stuff going on, uh, that Friday morning, I was just exhausted. I told my wife, we're going to have to put that off a day or two. So the plan was to go out this past Sunday and pick up the Christmas tree and I get it, I get done with my shift and I told her I, I was not feeling well. And I I said, we're going to have to put it off. Well, as luck would have it, it turned out to be COVID. Um, so her and my daughter finally did go out last night and get the tree. So we at least have it up. Uh, I couldn't help out. I haven't been able to help with any of the decorating. Um, but I'm hoping to be back on track next week for some of our other family traditions. Um, we always do the, uh, we put our shoes out for St. Nick on the 6th. Um, and then Christmas Eve, we always have the tradition of uh, Christmas Eve pajamas. So that's something the uh, the kids always look forward to. And, and last year, we were lucky enough, we were able to get matching pajamas, not just for us, but the dog as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the kids really enjoyed that. That's lovely. That's great. So um, hopefully they didn't get a tree like uh, the Grissoms got the tree in uh, Christmas Vacation, you know, that basically damaged the whole room it was that big my 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 daughter actually she picked out a fantastic one it's nice and full and i'm looking forward to seeing it decorated she she did a uh she she learned well from me (laughs) she (laughs) she picked out a good one so it is an interesting one actually so you know when you're looking for records on online and looking on these these sites and, and on auctions are there any actual pointers or things that you've learned uh that, that are important to learn if you are a collector and you're looking for that specific something uh the big thing for me has been persistence um i i i spend a ridiculous amount of time searching for these things um, I, I've got a routine where every morning I've got a handful of sites that I hit 
um, I, for the for the one auction site, I, I literally have what about a hundred or so tabs open that I just go through every morning, just uh, just trying to see if any of these uh, any of the albums that I'm because uh, I, I I've got a like a wish list of albums that at this point has shrunk to just a few dozen left. Um, so I'm always on the lookout for those and then anything new or unusual that catches my eye. Um, and the big thing is just, um, just being persistent because, um, there, a couple years ago, there were a few days where I just, I was like, well, you know, I don't need to look today. And as luck would have it, there were um, a couple albums that showed up that I was really looking for that I managed to miss by uh, not even a day or two. Um, there was one that I had, it, it had been, you know, top of my list for a while that I went downstairs after not checking for a couple of days and I missed out on a copy by like three hours. Um, so, I, I, you know, I stick my routines. I'm just really persistent about it. And if it's something that I know is rare, um, I tend not to let it, uh, I tend not to let it go. I, I try to, uh, I try to get it when it shows up as opposed to, you know, some of these sellers, if the auction ends, they'll relist it at a lower price. And, I don't always count on that because um, with the rare ones, if I wait, it's probably not going to be there. Yeah. I always say that in, in any way, even when you go to a normal shop, if there's something that you really, really want and you find it, it's probably the best to get it there and then because very often you'll actually go and it won't be there the next time or later. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about, a <laughs> you know, a 60 or 70 year old, uh, Japanese album, um, it, it, if you wait and it's not there the next day, it, it could be another two to three years before you see it again. Oh, tell me about it. I've got a box down there full of old, you know, really old jazz albums down there. It's, it's a crate, just like the crate that you've got your albums in there very uh-huh. similar and it's just full of all these classic jazz albums so yeah you have to get them when you can oh yeah hi it's steven hi i'm john mckay <laughs> <laughs> hi it's steven hi it's paul and we are from trimming the musical fat podcast and we want to wish marv and all the pods like us listeners a merry christmas and a happy new year so, where did the name Holly Jolly X Masu X Masu come from? I really struggled coming up with a name. Um, I was trying to come up with something that said Christmas, but also was uh, let people know it was Japanese. Um, it, I found a really obscure reference to a use of X Masu, so it's a legitimate <laughs> use of the word. Um, but for the most part, it, it, 
for in Japan, they just uh, they they'll say Christmas or Christmasu. Uh, uh, they'll write it out as Xmas. Um, it's just that for a Western audience, it makes it stand out from Holly Jolly Xmas, and yeah. it makes it you know, kind of look Japanese. Um, so that's how I ended up coming up with that. It's really clever because, like you said, it, it, it says it it jumps out to you. So you'll see the title, and it's it's almost like a double take, you know, where you'll see it, and then you'll be like, "Oh, what's that again?" You, it's like you uh-huh. swipe swipe again to it because it really does stand out from everything else and and pulls you in. Yeah, well, and I had I almost went with just Holly Jolly Xmas, but. <laughs> you do a Google search on that and you get millions of results and you're just going to be buried in, uh, in, uh, in hits on that one. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't know if I'd come up with something different now, but at the time I was, uh, coming up with the title, um, it, I liked how it sounded and it, um, it's what I settled on. Okay. So, what advice would you give to anybody if they were starting their own podcast? Uh, the best advice I got was from Brian Earl, who does the Christmas Past podcast. He said, even if it's awful, record that first episode and then do the second one. He said, because if you don't do that first one, you're never going to do the second one. And if you keep putting it off, waiting for it to be perfect, then you're never going to get to it. So I took, took his, his advice and I recently re-listened, I listened to my first episode again recently and it was terrible, (laughs) but at least I did it. I got it out there and I committed to a schedule and I kept going and here it is, um, over two and a half years later and I'm working on my, what, I think 67th episode. Um, and I haven't stopped. So just, you know, if you feel like doing it and you think it's something you want to do, just get that first one done because until that happens, you're not going to do it. And before we skip over the, the mention there, Brian Earl, a more perfect Christmas podcast, you will never find than Brian's podcast. Christmas past is incredible. Yeah, he was he was a huge inspiration to me, um, and that that that's what made me even consider this was um, back when my older girls were um, when they were in high school they they were on the swim team and um, while they were at practice, I'd get up at, you know, three or four in the morning, take them to practice. And while they were at practice, I'd go walking around the pond, uh, by the, the swim club where they were doing their practices. And I'd listen to Brian Earl and I'd listen to, um, uh, Tim Babs can't wait for Christmas. Um, so that's what really got me hooked on Christmas podcasts. Um, yeah. So the two of them, they, they were, they, they were my first, big inspirations. Absolutely. So what other podcasts do you listen to? Uh, let's see. Um, weird Christmas is that, that that's, that's a must listen for me. Um, 
as soon as Craig has a new episode, uh, that's, you know, one of the first ones I put on, uh, totally rad Christmas from, uh, Jerry D. Um, I, I've been on there several times and he, he's a great guy. So I, I, I try to listen to his, uh, sounds of Christmas. Um, that's another good one. Um, uh, holidays after dark, which is a, a newer yeah. one. Uh, she, she puts out a, a really, uh, fun podcast. Um, and then I'm trying to think, I, I don't have a lot of time to listen anymore. No. Um, I, I do listen to, um, oh my gosh. And, and <laughs> I'm so out of it from the COVID right now. I'm having a hard time, um, hard, hard time remembering. Th- th- those are the main ones that I listen to, though. So, where can people find you and get hold of you? Uh, I most of the uh, most of the the big podcast uh, outlets you can find me on. Um, uh, otherwise, just do a search on Holly Jolly Xmasu. I'm hosted on uh, Libsyn. Um, I haven't gotten my own domain yet, so, um, that, that's one of those projects I just keep on putting off. Otherwise you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can email me at hollyjollyxmasu at gmail.com. Um, through most of the year, I try to do two episodes per month, uh, November and December. I try to bump that up to three to five episodes. Um, so as long as I can, uh, get past this COVID in a couple days, I should be able to get back on track and get my, my weekly December episodes out. Um, I've got a, f- a few really good ones coming up. Uh, first couple, I'm just tr- trying to get through quickly to, uh, to get a couple episodes out there. But then later in the month, I've got a couple of eighties uh, compilations that I'll be covering. Uh, the first one is mint sounds uh, Christmas album. It's, it's a an, it, it's a compilation album of like indie and alternative artists from the 80s that's wow. it, it's just one of my favorite 80s albums um and then another one uh it's a little it's small label city pop uh record that it's virtually unknown i'll be covering that for christmas day um that's one that people really need to turn in tune, tune in for because you literally can't find any of the songs on that album anywhere. So it's, if you want to hear something that you can't hear anywhere, anywhere else, that's one you want to listen into. Anyway, thank you for speaking with me today, Scott. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You can find pods like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can contact us through podslikeus at gmail.com. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us.